0: Welcome to the Nurture Small Business Podcast. I'm your host, Denise Kagan, president of the DCA Virtual Business Support. At DCA, we believe in small businesses and the families they support. Learn more at dcavirtual.com. If you asked a group of leaders if they and their colleagues were trustworthy, they'll generally answer yes. You might get supplemental responses such as stating that they or their colleagues always keep their word. And they do what they say to justify how they responded. I would posit that it takes more than personal integrity to build a trusting and trustworthy organization. Today's guest, Shantara Chapman, will share with us what to do when trust breaks down in your organization. How do you fix it and get the team performing like it used to? Welcome to the show, Shantara. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. I'm excited to have you here. I actually should have said welcome back because, um, if in case our listeners didn't realize it, you are actually a two time guest. You spoke to us on Women's Equality Day about allyship as well.
1: I did. And that was a great conversation. That was fun.
0: It was. And I'll make sure that it goes in the show notes so anybody listening to this that wants to catch that can catch that as well. So let's first start off with a little bit of background about you. Tell me about. You know your work. I know you're in the DEI space, but tell me a little bit about your work in your company.
1: Yeah, I'm the uh, president of Power Consulting, and um, I like to say we help our companies build strong cultures through uh, strategic planning and immersive learning and development opportunities. So that means we kind of get you in there, and we create these visceral reactions. We we try to immerse our clients into situations where they feel something Um, they feel like they're they've been a part of an experience so they can you know want to create a change within their organization and so that's what I do with with my clients who call me whether they have a trust issue like you were just talking about or it may be a uh, group that's breaking down because of a diversity issue it just kind of depends
0: Okay. And I would suggest that probably the diversity issue probably lends to trust issues as well. Or vice versa. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) So I know I stated that, you know, it takes more than just personal integrity because, and I, and I do think that, you know, if you ask people if they were trustworthy, if you asked me, I would say, yeah, I feel like I'm pretty fair to people, but Mm -hmm. that integrity doesn't necessarily create trust. No,
1: it doesn't, because sometimes you don't even, you don't know what you don't know, right? Uh, You don't know how you're being perceived. You don't know how people are reacting to what you've said in a meeting and, you know, going just back to, you know, the diversity thing for a minute. Sometimes people don't understand what a microaggression is. So you may not know you've said something that has been off-putting to someone and you've broken down the trust just like that. And someone can go in their office and never say anything to you. And all of a sudden, the person that you feel like you have been, you know, friends with or working well with for years, in five minutes, they no longer trust you. And they never say anything about
0: it. Mm. Okay, so let's talk first define microaggressions. I think I feel like most people probably know what that is, but maybe not. You don't know what you don't know.
1: Right. So a microaggression, um, little bitty slights or insults uh, that you may say, someone may say that could be off-putting to someone. So for instance, you may have heard someone say, oh, you shouldn't touch a Black woman's hair. Mm -hmm. That's considered a microaggression if you were to walk up to me, I'm a Black woman, right? And all of a sudden just immediately go to touch my hair without asking if it's okay. If you and I don't know each other. That's
0: a personal space (laughs)
1: issue, too. It's a personal space (laughs) issue. But if, say, you know, you see me out and we've met once at the Goldman Sachs Summit, right? Mm -hmm. And the next time you see me, my hair looks totally different. Maybe I have braids or, you know, it just looks different from the time that you remember me. And you immediately just go to grab my hair. And you go, oh, my gosh, Shantara, look at this. It looks so cool. And I immediately pull back from you. That's a microaggression. Okay, And you just go in about how my hair is so cool and it looks so funky and blah, 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 blah. And you never even look to you didn't pay attention to my mannerisms, my reaction or anything. You continue.
0: Mm, Okay, this reminds me a little bit of and and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. When I explain harassment in the workplace. Because, of course, I bring people on, so I have to explain policies. Right. I always explain that the person who feels they're being harassed is the one who defines it. Exactly. And it sounds like it's very similar in in nature and construct.
1: Yes, because it's it's my truth. It's mm-hmm. my thought, my feeling. And so you can't negate that, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not just about, you know, whether you touch me or whatever. It also could be, you know, microaggression is someone making a joke about something, too, that I don't think is funny. You can Mm -hmm. be making a joke about culture or you can be making a joke about age or anything or just saying something. Oh, you didn't look the way I thought you would look or your voice sounds different than what everyone else of your race would look like or things like that. You know, those types of things are considered microaggressions. Walking behind me in the store to see if I'm going to pick up something and, you know, you know, those types of things are microaggressions and they're microaggressions because they're quick and fast. You know, they happen like in a second, right? But they're very macro to the person that it happens to because we don't forget them. It it, it stays with us or the person that it happens to. Uh, so it's micro because of how quick it happens, but it's macro to the person that it, it affects.
0: Okay. And so in the context of workplace, these mm-hmm. microaggressions can happen Across the board doesn't have to be about race. It could be nope. about your your culture or your sexual identity or the, just the fact that you're a woman. The fact, you're a woman. Your um,
1: intelligence.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: All of those things. You know, someone can just say, "Oh, I didn't even know you were that smart." Or, "I didn't think you went to that school." I didn't think you could do that job. You know, those types of things. And and it could be just the way people say it. It's how they linger on a certain word. You know that you know, insinuating things, you know, all of those things could be microaggressions and someone will just tense up for a moment and it's how they took it. And so all of a sudden they're like, well, what did they mean by that? And now I'm second guessing you, I'm possibly second guessing myself and things are now starting to, there's tension within the group. Or within the, you know, the work dynamic is starting to shift and starting to change. And it's up to either that person to say something, to let you know that you you caused that issue, or they go to a leader or what have you, or it just becomes a festering snowball. And it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. A lot of times it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Because you usually don't say anything after the first one. It's after a few times. Because people describe things like microaggressions as being cut by a thousand paper cuts, Mm. been stabbed by a thousand paper cuts, because you let it happen so many times before you say anything, or even stung by a thousand bee stings.
0: So say, for instance, in the context of work, Mm -hmm. someone comes to a leader, a manager, and they say, you know, hey, I feel like it's a toxic workplace, or I feel like this person disrespects me. What's next?
1: So if someone comes to a leader and says that, or to their manager, what have you, I would assume, and this is a sometimes a bad assumption, but I would <laughs> assume the manager would say, tell me more. Mm-hmm. Because you would want that person to expound. Because using the word toxic workplace, using those words, toxic workplace, you would want them to explain why mm-hmm. and give examples. And if, if someone comes to you and uses those words, that means they have all kinds of examples. But more often than not, that leader will say, "Uh huh, uh huh," and their feelings are hurt immediately. They take it personally, and they may go on the defensive. I can and, see that. Mm-hmm. And instead of allowing that person to expound on what they think, they're starting to defend without even hearing. Because a lot of times, you know, we talk about the problem with communication is we're not listening to understand and to learn; we're listening to react. Mm. And so leaders need to hear that as well, that because they're not really listening either. They should listen and keep your mouth closed and listen to that other person. Let them tell their truth because it's their truth. They're coming in to talk to you about something they feel and let them explain what that toxic issue is. And after that, do some real investigating, do some digging. Okay. ask some questions and maybe it may not be that you get it resolved the next day because that's someone one person's thought. You need to see if it's more than that one person. And now if they feel like they've been harassed, that's one thing. But if they say it's a toxic workplace, you really do need to just kind of start to open your eyes more. Come out of your office, because if you're a leader that's always in your office with your head down, maybe you're not looking at the rest of your people. Maybe you're not paying attention to the culture that you're supposed to be building with your team.
0: So when you advise companies who have, you know, trust is broken down, whether it's microaggressions or toxic workplace, or probably any number of other things that could create trust to break down. Mm -hmm. So when you're advising your clients, what do you do to assess the situation? What types of things do you suggest they do?
1: One, the first thing I would, I suggest that they do is listen. And a lot of times, I don't suggest that they do the listening alone. I suggest that they host listening sessions with they have a third party do it. So a lot of times, they will use me and my company to host listening sessions with their teams. So they're not the ones that the team is talking to. Because as you can imagine, if someone was to accuse them of um, having a toxic workplace or say that they are the person that they don't trust, They're not going to want to talk to them that that leader about it. So you have to take that leader out of the equation for a little while. And you also have to work with that leader and start to explain to that leader. You're going to hear some things here after after we host these listening sessions. I'm going to come back to you and share what we've heard. And it's going to hurt. It's going to sting.
0: Are the listening sessions one-on-one with employees or are they groups? It depends
1: on how big the organization is. Depends Mm -hmm. on the team. If the team is a small team, it can sometimes be one-on-one. If the team is probably larger than 10, most likely it's going to be groups. But the listening sessions are no more than 10 people at a time anyway. Okay. So because you want people to be able to feel comfortable sharing And so you don't want to have big, gigantic groups of people at a time. I usually try to have between 10 and 12 in a room, whether it's virtual or even face to face, and allow them to be able to share. And it's more of a guided conversation where me or someone from my team are asking questions and allowing them to share their thoughts on those questions. And we're not um, responding to it. We're just giving them the opportunity to share out. Letting them know we're not recording your answer. We're not recording your names. We're not recording your faces. We're just getting the themes of the conversation so we can go back and, you know, respond to your leader. And afterwards, you know, we share and we try to figure this, figure out what the next steps are. After those listening conversations, we figure out when the right time is to bring the group together and try to say what these next steps would look like. Now, the next steps could be anything from trying to say, okay, that underlying trust was because of, maybe there may have been a diversity problem, or maybe there was a, we brought someone new into the team and they were not fully brought on properly, or this leader was brand new. And the leader wasn't onboarded the way we felt like they should have been. And we don't know this leader. We don't know him or her. And we just need to do some team building. So maybe there's just like a little group retreat that needs to happen. You know, things like that. We just need to figure out based on that listening session. It's is it truly that we just don't know him or her or they've said some things that are hurtful? What are these problems? Is it some communication training, some real leadership issues that need to go on where we need to have some leadership coaching? Because sometimes people that are promoted into leadership roles, they may not really be leaders. They may have just been (laughs) nice technical people that have done well in their technical jobs, and they probably should have stayed technical people.
0: (laughs) Right. Now, I have seen that and experienced that. So leadership development, it sounds like, could be a piece of the equation, And as far as, you know, the level of transparency, when you come back together, do you address the group as a whole or in the same groups where you spoke to them? As a whole. Okay.
1: Once we come back together, we do a, okay, this is what we've learned and try to be as transparent as possible. I do a one-on-one with the leader to share everything, (laughs) give them an opportunity to breathe through, but then we bring everyone together. And I want that leader in that space as well, because I want them to have the opportunity to be vulnerable with the team, because the team needs to see that.
0: Yeah, there has to be a certain level of transparency if you're going to get back to that space of trust, I would think. Exactly.
1: And they need to hear, even if the leader doesn't have an answer for all of whatever issues come out, I want them to hear him or her say, I don't have an answer yet, because there's vulnerability in that. And that, is, that goes a long way in building trust. Saying I don't know is truthful. And they're like, at least they're human and they're not trying to be Superman or Superwoman here. We're gonna hear that you don't know and maybe you're open to us helping you get there.
0: I like that. I like that. So can you give me an example, obviously without telling me the name of the company, but an example of a process where just kind of high level overview of how you've worked them through this
1: oh, and, and sure. more
0: specifics about the problem. Uh, specifics about the problem. So without a, clearly giving away the names. <laughs> yes,
1: I had a, I had an organization, a smaller organization. It was a leadership team, like the executive team, all of a sudden just started to break down. Well, they felt like it was all of a sudden. And I had the- um, It isn't usually, is it? it? You know, I'd heard kind of rumblings from the inside from a few people that I knew. They were like, it's getting bad. <laughs> and then I heard someone say, they're going to call you soon. It's getting really bad. You know, oh, and then I finally got a call and it was like, it's it's terrible. I don't know what happened all of a sudden. And this was at the beginning of the pandemic. Mm. And I was getting a lot of calls, you know, when people were starting to go go virtual. A lot of organizations not really understanding what it was going to be like to go from working face to face to virtual culture change, culture shock. But then George Floyd happened. Mm-hmm. So you not only are you going to culture change, culture shock. But then you watch a murder on TV Mm -hmm. and now you have this disconnect from your organization and you have your people of color and you have your Caucasians not really knowing how to communicate anymore and they don't get to see each other either. So there's a huge wall between everyone. And so this executive team all of a sudden went from being, at least from their, their leader, felt like they went from being very close to not speaking to each other. And when they would get on their Zoom meetings, she felt like there was nothing that she could do to get them to interact at all. And she says, Shantera, I'm I'm at a point where I feel like everything's falling apart. We're emotionally spent. Feel it. It's just tension. So I said, okay, what what can I, you know, what can I do? She says, I know you do this work. You know, you know a lot of the people on this team. Can you come in and help? Well, we started to, you know, kind of start peeling it back. You know, having the sessions, doing the listening, like I mentioned. And um, I even asked her to step away for um one session and she was good with that. And um we talked about trust and we got to the root of a lot of it. It did not happen just because of virtual things and it wasn't just because of George Floyd. It was so many things. Mm-hmm. And yes, being virtual and being and having watched what happened with George Floyd made things worse. Mm
0: -hmm. Those are the triggers.
1: Yes, it became triggers. People just just kind of drew into themselves even more.
0: Mm hmm. So
1: I said, well, okay, well, let's, let's, we're going to have to start from scratch and it's going to be bad, but we're going to have to start from scratch because people need to get it out. So we, we did, we allowed, she, she was okay. And we allowed for an opportunity to let people start to share. And she, she sat in on it. She, she was okay with listening and hearing some raw thoughts on where they felt like there was some distrust, not just in the ranks, but with her. And she was able to share what she had been feeling and seeing on her side as well. And after, and we went through three months of that back and forth every two weeks for three months. And finally getting to the other side of it after maybe session three, round session four, I could finally start to see that they were starting to turn a corner. And we started to really talk about building the team back up and being allies. You know, we talked a lot about allyship in our other session. And Mm -hmm. we started to really talk about allyship again and talk about what that looked like for them and putting that back together so they can work together again, because they really were not working well. We rewrote their mission statement. I mean, they literally started over. Wow. And they just built a brand new team. They felt like they needed to start over and they're doing much better.
0: When you say they built a brand new team, do you mean that some people exited and they brought new people in or they built from what they had? From what they
1: had. And actually a couple of people left, but not because of that. They were actually just making some life transitions. Mm -hmm. And so in the midst of what we were doing a couple of people were making some changes in their families. And so they were leaving, like moving out of state. And so as a natural transition, a couple of new people came on. And as we were writing new mission statements and everything, now we have this new face to this team. And everyone is like, we're going to sign up to just be a new. We're going to sign up to change the way we handle business how we talk to each other, how we interact, how we say that there's an issue. When we when, when we are overloaded, just the whole nine, everything changed with how they decided to run their team. And you can see it. You can feel it now when you walk in there. And it's it's really nice to see, one, that you, I can see the change that I, you know, was able to make with that team. And everyone seems to be really happy with it.
0: So tell me a little bit, and I'm I know you have answers to this, how does trust impact productivity and bottom line for business owners? Because we're always concerned about that, but sometimes we don't think the soft things matter so much.
1: Oh, my goodness. They matter completely because without trust, you're not going to get anyone to work completely. You know, they, you know, that that 100% that managers think that they're getting from everyone, if they don't trust you, you're not getting that. You know, we hear people talk about this quiet quitting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they don't trust you. They're never going to give you 100%. And so that productivity, you're probably always going to be at about 75%, 80% until they trust you. When they trust you and they see that vulnerability, I mentioned where it's nice to have a boss to say, I don't know, or I don't understand, or maybe not yet. I don't know where we're going. And they feel that and they, they, they're they going to empathize with you. And, and if, if a team trusts you to come along and help them and you help each other, that means that they're going to go, they're going to be with you and they're going to give you their 100% and they are going to talk with the rest of the team and they're going to be as productive as they possibly can. And when you have a team that's going to be all in and be as productive as they possibly can. That means your bottom line is going to look way better than if you have maybe half of your team giving 70, 80%. Now you have all of your team giving 100%. That means your productivity is going to be as high as it possibly can be.
0: That sounds like a win-win for the business owner, but it also sounds a bit like a painful process. It's a, oh, it's
1: definitely not easy. It's definitely not easy and not, not everyone's going to be able to do it because they're not going to be patient enough to do it. Because the example that I gave took a very long time for them to get there. Everyone didn't come on board at the same time. Trust isn't built overnight. Everyone is not going to feel the same way altogether. And, you know, one person is going to say, okay, I'm good. I, I, I like working with Jane. And two other people are going to be like, well, I'm not. I don't. I'm still on the fence. You know, so it's going to take different times, different levels. Jane's going to have to do different things for each person to build the trust. And it's going to be exhausting. And it's just a matter of who wants it, who feels like they want to do that work and put in that effort. And that leader's got to make that decision.
0: And in the course of your consultation in these exercises, mm-hmm. do you ever recommend that they restructure in in a way that does potentially replace or reduce their team?
1: Um, yes. There's definitely been times when I've said, are you sure this person belongs on the team? Or, you know, maybe this is not a right fit, you know, because we have to have those conversations. If we're talking about building trust and there's someone that's just not going to be on board for whatever reason, Mm
0: -hmm. and it just
1: doesn't look like it's not working out, you do have to have those conversations. I mean, I have conversations all the time about bias and hiring and, bias and the recruiting process and all of those things. And if it looks like someone just refuses to come on board and is constantly, you Mm. know, using their personal bias when they're hiring someone, the question is, how long are we going to keep this person here? We already know that they're going to rebel against the system. Mm. If your goal is to not bring your personal biases into this and you hired me to try to help you take all of that out, you have one that's already said they're not going to do it,
0: you know? saying a lot actually. Yeah. And sometimes people's inaction say way more than their action. Absolutely. So Shantara, what should I have asked you about building trust that I did not get to? I would say,
1: I mean, you've asked a lot of the, you know, the great questions about trust. The one thing that um, I get all the time about trust is how long does it take? Or <laughs> is there a
0: timeline? I can answer that one. Don't know, no. no. <laughs> Sorry, know, no. and you know, you don't know, and know, and
1: uh, and uh, you know, you know. Can you even say that that is a core value? Because that's it is hard to say that trustworthiness is a core value. Then,
0: because mm, you can't, it's like trying to command respect from somebody. You can't command mm-hmm. trustworthiness.
1: Trustworthiness, ex- exactly. And you know, and honestly, I've answered that question with it is a goal. Mm. I like that. I would not say that it is a core value of a company. It is a goal of the company to be trustworthy because you have to earn it and you have to earn it every day.
0: Mm-hmm. And it may be defined differently by different people.
1: Absolutely. And you have to you have to ask them what their definition of trustworthiness is. And that requires interaction.
0: And if you never interacted, you will never know. That is so very true. So very true. OK. How can our listeners find you after the show? You can find me
1: most likely on LinkedIn. That's the one place that most people find me on LinkedIn. And so that is, you know, Shantara Chapman. That profile is the most active for me on LinkedIn. And absolutely on my website, Powher Consulting, P-O-W-H-E-R Consulting.
0: Perfect. This has been very enlightening conversation i will make sure all of your contact information is in the show notes so people can find you thank you so much this was great thank you for being here thank you for joining me for today's nurture small business podcast where the focus is on business growth technology and people strategies to help your business thrive at dca virtual business support our focus is making your business operations run smooth so you can focus on growth Reach out to me at denise at dcavirtual.com if you'd like to learn more.